0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Everybody hear me? Sweet. So I can't see you guys. Like, the light is perfectly, (laughs) like, um, and it's great. I mean, I don't know if it's good for you guys. You guys can see me. Um, But so I'm probably not going to make a lot of eye contact today. It's not personal. So yes, good morning. I'm so thankful this week. Um, So my commute got shorter this week, if you haven't heard. Um, So I believe I looked it up, and it's now 1,041 miles shorter to get here to preach. So... That is great. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> and yeah, we are glad to be here with you as a family. Um, I'm so thankful. I know many of you, if not all of you, have reached out to help us, to offer help um, with our move. And um, we're in a weird position where um, we have nothing to do. So it's not that we don't want your help. Uh, we we could sure use help at some point, but there's just not much to do. Our house is empty and our stuff is not getting here for hopefully the end of next week, so that's, that's just where we're at. So if you like hearing yourself like echo, you can come over, and there's plenty of that in our house. And so we are ready as a family to transition into this new season, transition into having you guys as our new family, which we're very excited about. Um, one thing that makes me so happy, um, don't want to get teary, um, like my, you know, especially like my kids just saying how nice everybody at this church is. You know, and, and it's true, and it's just it makes me feel so great that, that they feel that from the church already. And so during this transition, one of the nice things about this transition is, starting this week, uh, you're going to have the same person up here preaching every week. So that's good. And don't get me wrong, I, I think it's great to alternate people coming up here and hearing different perspectives and personalities. But I also know in the local church, it is so beneficial to have one voice it's just preaching through a book of the Bible. And so what that looks like for the next couple of weeks is, yes, you're going to have me here, um, but the next three sermons are going to be sermons that, I, that I've, from passages that I've preached from before that I, I'm really familiar with and that I really enjoy and that I think would be encouraging for us. And the reason I'm doing that, I'm not just being lazy, but is so that I can spend a lot of time, A, moving my family here, actually getting set up in Bakersfield, and then also to prepare us for our next series, our first series together. And that should be uh, four Sundays from now or three Sundays from now, however that that works out. And I think we'll announce that next week, what that's gonna be. And at that point, we will start a book of the Bible and we will just dig our feet in and we'll just go expositionally through a book of the Bible, which means verse by verse, unlocking every theme, context, which means, you know, so far you've had people come up here, and we get to pick whatever verse we want, and so we get a nice, juicy verse, a really good verse that we could preach from. But when you go verse by verse, man, that's when you come across stuff that's just the difficult stuff. And when you go verse by verse, we get to go through that together. And so I'm really excited about that. And during this time, of course, um, if you know anybody who needs a church, like now's the time to invite them um, to come here. I'm not saying like I'm an attraction, but hey, just like, hey, come see this guy, man. He's kind of goofy, but you know what? He, he talks a lot of truth. So yeah, invite people um, for sure. And so this morning, um, I want to start to this sermon by um, asking us a question. And I think it's a real, I think it's a legit question. Have you ever eaten something that changed your life? Eaten something. Eating something so good, like it was so good, like everything in your brain got rearranged, like your whole life changed by something that you ate. <clears throat> and so now I'm going to share. Uh, so these three sermons I'm going to be sharing, they're going to be have stuff about me, so you guys can get to know me a little bit. And so I'm going to tell you a story, very true story. About I believe it was my first day of high school, it might have been my first day of my sophomore year, and I was having the worst day ever. I had a headache right? I'm starving. It's in Los Angeles. It's 120 degrees. And I am just, I, I need to eat desperately. And so finally, I am in line to eat food. And so I'm in this line. And so just to give you a little visual, like I have this giant mohawk. It's probably a foot, two feet tall, wearing a leather jacket. And it's like 120 degrees outside. So I, I, I probably smell pretty bad, right? Because, I mean, I'm just all about looking cool. And this, this, this year of high school... I'm gonna dominate, I'm gonna be the coolest person there. Everybody's gonna think I'm cool and be afraid of me and wanna be my friend and so I'm committed to like wearing this leather jacket all year long. The problem is I'm the next person in line and I know what I'm gonna order is gonna be a plain cheeseburger. Plain cheeseburger, meat, cheese and bun because that's the way I was raised. I don't know why, my family eats everything plain, even nuggets, like no sauce, I don't know why. And someone order a plain cheeseburger. It's fine, except the, the, the girl in front of me <clears throat> orders a cheeseburger and she orders it just with ketchup, which I think is fine, you know? But everybody in this place starts laughing at her. Just, oh my gosh, like ketchup? Just ketchup? Are you a baby? Like, what's wrong with you? Why, why can't you eat like an adult? And so immediately, like, I'm in an existential crisis. What on earth am I gonna do? I I, can't, I just so all of a sudden before I could even think about it, I'm at the register, and the lady behind the counter asked me, "What do you want? I want a cheeseburger," and then she asked me, "Do you want everything on it?" So I said, "Yes." <laughs> She's like, "What? What?" I'm like, "Yes, yes, I want everything." And she could, I think she could see the fact that I was not, I didn't really want everything. So she's like, You want lettuce, tomato, onions, chilies, you know, just everything. Are you sure you want everything on it? And so now I'm just like, no. I'm like, yes, absolutely. So everybody can hear me. Yes, I want everything on this cheeseburger. Please don't make fun of me. <laughs> and so my order comes out. And it's, the cheeseburger is about 400 times the size of what I normally eat, it's just gigantic. And all my friends at my table who I've gone through middle school with who know me, just like, dude, like, what are you doing? Why would you you do this? But I'm committed, and so I bite into it. And I get goosebumps talking about it, but it was the best thing I've ever tasted. (laughs) Um, If you've ever had a great burger, you know you could taste the grilled bun, that like steaming hot meat, gooey cheese, like cold, you know, lettuce, tomato, onions, like every condiment. I mean, just, it was unbelievable, and my life has never been the same. I've never had anything plain by choice since that moment. My life completely changed. I've spent 30 years eating every type of food that I can, which, which may be obvious to us this morning. <clears throat> and my favorite burger, um, if you ever go to Colorado, is called the Luther, which just has a great name. It's called the Luther. And so it's a cheeseburger with an egg, egg and bacon on it with two glazed donuts for the buns. And that, that is, it's a great cheeseburger. <laughs> so, yeah, why do I share this silly yet true story, very true story? It's because I think a lot of us here are like I was that day. And that was starving, right? Spiritually hungry like we are spiritually hungry we're not just having a bad day but life itself is becoming very overwhelming socially uh, politically financially spiritually a lot of us are at least on one of those levels just drained this morning i know how hard it can be and i know that sometimes you know we find ways to cope with it for a while You know, I think like even COVID, we thought, oh, we can we can we can cope with this, we can get through this, you know, for a week, and even like in my family, oh, it's going to be a couple weeks, we'll get through this, we'll we'll find something that works for us, and now we're going on almost two years of this, and so we need something, we need something to help us, we need something that's gonna that we're gonna taste that's gonna change our lives, this morning, and so I, I have an invitation for you this morning, from God through David to taste just the best thing ever. And so this morning, what I want us to do is taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's exactly what we need this morning. And so right now, if you want to turn to Psalm 34, that's going to be our text today. So I'll give you a minute to do that. And if you are one of those people who loves to memorize verses, and if you're not, like let's, Let's do it. Let's start doing that. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. It is absolutely one of those verses you want to learn. You know, it's also one of those verses, now that I've told you about a burger, I hope every time you have like a burger or good food, you just think, taste and see that the Lord is good. So let me let me start by praying for us. I think we all found it. Heavenly Father, you are good. Oh, Lord, how faithful are you. How just and great and holy are you. Lord, this morning as we come before you uh, to worship you by going through your word um, faithfully and looking at one of your attributes, Lord, that you are not a tyrant, that we are are not afraid because you're mean, but that you are a good God I ask that this morning that we would all taste and see that. And um, for those who have, have tasted already and know that, that we would even taste more this morning. So I ask your spirit to come, Lord, and may Jesus be honored and magnified by our service, Lord. Thank you for everyone here, Lord, and be with those who aren't able to be here this morning, Lord. Amen. So Psalm 34 is awesome. Has anybody read Psalm 34 before? Like, it's, man, it's a, it's a good song. It's, it's a jam for sure. it's so theologically rich it has evangelism in it and one nice thing is we'll see right before the psalm begins is that we know like who wrote it and we know why they wrote it so that's huge being a music fan I think it changes the whole dynamic of a song when you know why the song was written like why was this song written and so we see right at the beginning I think in most of your translations um, and I use the ESV and I'm not ESV only Um, It says of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, if you've been through 1 Samuel and you've been through 1 Samuel 21, you might be familiar with this story. It's kind of a funny, crazy story. And this is so David is running from Saul. Saul wants to kill David. So David's trying to go somewhere to not get killed by Saul. And we don't know why he goes here, but he goes to Achish. This is a horrible choice for David because, and it might not be a horrible place except for the fact that David at this point has a very cool sword, right? It's this giant sword that he's carrying around on his back. It would have to be on his back because we know that it's just this enormous, elaborate sword. And the problem is the sword David is carrying used to belong to this giant warrior named Goliath which sounds kind of cool, right? It's, a, it's like, what a trophy to carry around, Goliath's sword. But you don't carry that sword into Goliath's hometown. And so this is a bad choice. And like I said, it doesn't say why he ended up here. Maybe that was his only option, but he's carrying this trophy right through Goliath's hometown. So David is not welcome here. He's brought before Abimelech, and David is, is, is fearing for his life, right? What else is going to happen? Abimelech is definitely going to make an example out of David, but we know from 1 Samuel twenty-one that David acts insane. Like that's all David's got. He's not going to try to talk his way out of it. He's got nothing but just act insane. And so I, w- I would love to see that. But w- whatever he's doing, King Abimelech, despite the fact that he killed Goliath, that killing David would be a big deal. Abimelech is just annoyed more than anything, right? He's just like, oh my goodness, get this crazy guy you know, out of my hall, get him out of here. And so somehow (laughs) this works. And so Bimelech's just like, get David out of here, please. I don't want to see, I don't want to hear David anymore. Get him out of here. And so David survives. And so it's after this, and we don't know how long after this. It may be like right afterwards where David is leaving King Abimelech, right? And he's just like, oh my gosh, that was so crazy. How am I still alive? Lord, you are so good, I can't believe that you got me through that. And it's in that moment, or maybe maybe later on, thinking about that moment where David says, I'm going to write a song about this. And so that's this psalm. That's how we get this psalm after that crazy story, which I think is so interesting that it leads into this psalm. Now, one cool thing that we don't see here, but I think is worth noting, is that in the original Hebrew language, that it's an acrostic psalm, which means every letter starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Which, well, why does that matter? Well, because this was probably written for children. This was written for children to understand this story. So we're not going to see it in here, but you'll see it kind of come full circle. It'll come back around that the fact that this is probably written to inspire young people. And so this morning, what we're going to do going through this, since we're not going to go through the Hebrew alphabet, promise Uh, we're going to go through it stanza by stanza. So you should have six stanzas in most translations. And what we're going to do is we're just going to go through each of the six stanzas, um, each of them just a tiny bit, at least a tiny bit, and then some a little bit more. And then in the third one, we'll definitely take some time and sink our teeth into that third one. So the first thing I want to look at is the first stanza, which is verses 1 through 3, where it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt in his name together. And so the first stanza is an invitation, right? David's saying, come on, guys, like you're invited. Like let's magnify the name of the Lord you may be asking yourselves, is it possible to magnify the name of the Lord? Like, why would we magnify the name of the Lord? Does God need us to magnify His name? Why exactly are we doing this? And so I would just say, no, God does not need our affirmation. God has all the glory, whether we give it to Him or not. And, and here's the thing, God's love tank is not empty. And I think We need to understand, like, God doesn't have this love tank that lasts about six days, right? And then we meet on Sunday just so we could, you know, get God by, fill His love tank to get by another week. But instead, it's us. Like, we have to meet at least once a week in worship, if not more, because it's our love tanks that are filled when we worship God. And it doesn't really, I think, make sense to us, but that's the way it works. The more we magnify God and put our perspective in line with the glory of God, it's actually us who gets filled up. So it's just like win-win. So it's, it's such a great thing. And so this morning, like I, you know, if you need perspective this morning, it's like magnify the Lord. Be humble. It just says be humble and worship God. And that'll give you perspective. Hey, stop thinking about what happened at work. Like we're here, church. We're here this morning. Stop thinking about everything else. Let's magnify the Lord this morning and just spend this time getting everything else in perspective. So next, let's look at stanza 2, verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And so, stanza two, what we have is a story or a testimony. And so, David is talking about this situation, which we we already know from the beginning what happened, but he's saying, this is what actually happens, like behind the scenes. I cried out to the Lord. The Lord delivered me from this. And so, David is saying, I've tasted. This is how I've tasted the Lord is good. I was in this insane situation, and the Lord delivered me from it. He delivered me from fear and shame and trouble. And I think this is such a practical way for us here this morning when we consider, like, evangelism. Because I know sometimes it's hard to share our faith because, you know, like me, you want to take everybody down Romans Road, right? You want to hit every theological point in trying to get somebody saved. You know, you want to have the whole presentation. And yet what I think we could learn from here, just very practically speaking, is just giving credit to God where credit is due, and so I know just in my own life, I'm sure in yours, there's been moments you've gone through things where Jesus has helped you, and so I think it's very easy when somebody says, "How's your week going? How's your day going?" And, and we, you know, we have you know these these answers like, "Oh, it's going okay," or you know, or you know, living the dream, you know. I don't think you're supposed to say that anymore, but but we have this opportunity. If somebody's asking you, and they're asking you, what's going on with you? How are you doing? It's a great opportunity, you know, whether it's good or bad, to talk about your faith. And so even, like, in this situation with David, which is a crazy situation, like, he's not embarrassed about it. Like, he's, I went through this crazy thing. It should have been embarrassing for him, right? I mean, it would be embarrassing, I think, if I said, hey, I went to this meeting, and I just acted crazy, and they kicked me out. Praise God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but he took that opportunity. Like he wrote a song about something that happened. And so I think for us this morning, it could be so encouraging just to be honest with people. You know, when we're going, to, going through something good or bad and just share our stories, right? Give Jesus credit. Like just bring Jesus into the conversation. Nobody is starting a conversation in our lives outside of people we know at church. Like, hey, let's talk about Jesus, it's like no, let's talk about sports, movies, anything. Nobody's saying let's talk about Jesus. So if we have that door, and if somebody asks, man, let let's bring down that door, and let's bring Jesus into that. You know, and don't worry again about sounding silly. You, nothing you went through is sillier than what David just went through and is bragging about. So, and what's really cool about this, you know, what David does here is he doesn't just say this happened, and he doesn't just say the Lord is good, you know, he says, try for yourselves, like, try this for yourselves, and we see this in the third stanza, verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So, stanza three is like, try this. Come on, guys. Like, what are you doing? You have to try this. My throat is a little dry today. I apologize. <clears throat> and so, it's like this. Since we're talking about food, I mean, today, we're, we're going to get really hungry this morning because I'm going to talk about food a couple times. So, I'm sorry if you're already hungry. But here's the deal. You get this great meal. You eat this great meal at a restaurant and you would tell somebody else about it, right? You tell people. One of the best parts about eating a good meal is telling other people, man, I ate this great meal. And ideally what you want them to do is try it. You know, or you invite them to try it. The last thing you would do is tell somebody about every aspect of this great meal that you had And then just tell them, and I'm not going to tell you where it's at. Right? That's horrible. (laughs) But I think in some ways, you know, when it comes to our faith, we're the same way. We have a great God. We have the best God, the one holy, true, living God. And yet, in some ways, when we don't share our faith, what are we doing? We're just saying, this is so great. We can come Sunday morning and praise, but I'm not going to tell my neighbor. I'm not going to tell my friend who's hurting. I'm not going to tell people that I know are searching for truth, that are taking a philosophy class, you know, that that are exploring spirituality. It's like, we have to tell them. Tell them about the Lord's goodness. Like, taste, guys, come taste and see. Invite people to come to Jesus. I mean, I know just from being here a couple of days, people in Bakersfield need Jesus. You know i know from being in california years ago that people in california need jesus and all the earth needs jesus and so we have to we have to bring right bring the gospel to people not be ashamed of it and invite people and tell people like david's here why it's good it's not just all these burgers are good it's like when i was explaining the burger earlier it's like no explain it explain it why it's good So in light of this invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good, I thought, well, there's two things we should probably figure out about this, right? And that is, what does it mean to taste, right? Because it sounds a little awkward right now. And then what does it mean that the Lord is good? So let's start with, what does it mean to taste? And so this is a metaphor, I think we would agree on. This is a metaphor on trying something, experiencing something, trying to engage something, because God is not something that you could encounter accidentally. Nobody like trips and falls into the faith, right? And so it can't be passive. It can't be by accident. It has to be a decision. You have to be doing something willfully to experience it. And so if God isn't able to literally be tasted, I think we would agree on that, then how do we taste? And we find an answer, you know, back in David's testimony. In verse 4, it says, David sought the Lord. In verse 5, it said David looked to him. In verse 6, it says he cried out. And so what we see here is in order to taste the Lord, that we have to seek, right? We have to seek and to speak. We can't just sit here and wait for the Lord to do something. It's saying seek, look for God. You have to be looking for God. You actually have to, to speak out about it. You know, and I know, believe me, I know that every sermon, almost every sermon that preached, the application is pray and read your Bible, Right? And and it is, though. It really is. I mean, that that is the answer, to pray and to read your Bible. And so we see here also, just if you want to skip ahead to verse 11 and read real quick, it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In other words, if you want to, to learn about how the Lord is good, you have to learn about God. Again, read your Bible. And so, for example, just this morning, as we approach our Bibles and we say, how can I learn about God just by reading the Bible? How can, I mean, the psalm is a song. This is a song somebody wrote, right? This is a song people sing. What can I learn about God this morning? So I made a list of things just from reading this psalm that we could learn about God. God is knowable. He hears. He answers. He delivers. He encamps around us. He saves us. He gives us refuge. He sees us. He slays the wicked. He redeems those who take refuge in him. Like that's in one psalm. And that's all good stuff, right? That's good because God is good. Now maybe this morning you're saying, well, James, like I've read my Bible. I've read it cover to cover. I've prayed. I don't think God's listening to me. And so why, why, why do I read the Word and I don't see all that stuff about God? And so this morning what I would say is in order to taste that the Lord is good, to taste, to actually taste and not just read and pray, is that you have to have faith, right? You have to have faith. You have to seek with faith. And I want to show you some verses that support this, like Matthew twenty one twenty two, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And so if you want to know God and taste God, you actually have to try and have faith in God, to actually reach out to God. You, know, you hear people talk about how they, they try to go to God, they've prayed and done all that stuff, but they didn't really do it with their entire selves. It's like, well, I prayed this prayer and nothing happened. It's like, did you get on your knees? Like, did you open your soul? Did you seek God or did you say words actually, assuming even to begin with that you're not going to get answered? Because that prayer is not going to get answered. Hebrews 11.6, it says this, and without faith, it it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if you want to get nearer to God, closer to God, (laughs) seek God with faith. So again, with the food, question, does anyone here love ice cream? Yes, yes. And so let me tell you, I I think like me, probably you have your favorite flavor, you have your favorite shop, you know what you're going to get, but you may have heard about a different flavor that's really good, but you don't want to commit to it, like you don't want to commit to an entire scoop when you can have a scoop of your favorite already, like you're not going to try an entire scoop of something else, even though you've heard this other scoop, this other flavor is life changing. It'll change your life if you try it. So how do you try that other flavor of ice cream? How do you sample to see if another flavor of ice cream is good? Anybody? Sample spoon, yes. You need the sample spoon. And so this morning, that sample spoon, I want to say, is a lot like the way faith operates in our tasting of the Lord. It is through that spoon that we can actually taste. Otherwise, it's just there. We could say we want it, but we don't actually taste it unless we get that sample spoon, that faith, that faith that actually brings it from something we could see and brings it inside of us to allow it to transform ourselves. And where does that spoon come from? It comes from that person behind the counter. Like, God bless those people. I mean, yes, for giving us the sample spoons, but man, I just people who want ice cream and want it now. And so you have to get that spoon from somebody, right? Because we don't have that spoon. Nobody just is born, you know, with a sample spoon. We don't come with one. And so you have to get it from somewhere. And so what's great about God, talking about God's goodness, because God is good, is that God is the one who hands us that spoon, So it is the Lord, it is the Lord who's saying, Come taste, like I I am the Lord, I am good, come taste this. And knowing that we are that we are fallen and broken, he's the one that's handing out that spoon, giving us the faith to taste him, that he is good, and it's a gift. Again, we see this clearly in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one can boast. Which means when you tried before and you read your Bible and you prayed and nothing happened, you were disappointed. But when you receive that gift of faith, when you have that spoon to taste, it changes everything. So now when you pray, right, when you pray, it's not like you're just listening to yourself talking to open air, but you can feel the presence of God. And we'll see in a couple of verses that the presence of God is actually there. And so you feel that intimacy with God. You know that the Lord is hearing you. When you read the Bible, when you do it with faith, instead of just reading it as a textbook, but with faith that this is true, that you believe that God is real and this is the word of God, it changes everything. When you read Genesis, instead of being kind of this wacky sci-fi fantasy story, it's like you know, like every cell in your body was, is like, yes, God created me. God created me, which means I have a purpose. Like I, have, I exist for a reason specifically, and I have a purpose in this world, and it changes everything. It transforms your life by tasting that. When you read a bit, go into the Gospels and the New Testament, and you read about Jesus, you go from thinking Jesus is just, you know, he's kind of a cool teacher. You know, he's up there, you know, with Gandhi, and he's definitely a cool teacher. But when you have faith, you see him as the good shepherd, as the great savior, and you know he saved you, epically, cosmically saved you. And you can only see that and know that, which is important that you know that when you taste with faith. So this entire psalm is a declaration of David's faith. Not only in that God is good, like doctrinally speaking, but that he's so good that you have to taste. Like he's so good and David is not, he's not going to be a jerk, right? He's saying, guys, there's plenty, there's plenty of the Lord to taste. So approach the Lord, taste the Lord because he's good. But what does it mean that the Lord is good, that God is good? Does it matter that God is good? Should we worship God? God. I talked to somebody recently who's like, even if God exists, I don't know why I should worship him. Well, it's because he's good. And so just to frame this, and maybe, maybe you guys have, have heard about this um, happening in China, <clears throat> where there's people being denied their basic needs. And so I'm not sure how it works with the government um, specifically, but basically um, goods are given out, services, um, food, food. A medical aid. They're given out to people for being citizens of China unless you worship God, unless you worship the one true God of the Bible, in which case you no longer get those. And so in order to get those, if at some point you get hungry enough, you know, or you're sick enough and you have to make a decision, the way you get back onto that list to get your stuff there is to reject God. And not only reject God, but fall down and worship the emperor of China. So, all over China, the emperor is being worshipped, right? Because people are afraid to do otherwise. And so you have this tyrant trying to be God by exercising this power. And I mention this because if anyone could ever genuinely, like, play a card, right? Play a card that says, I am God. I created you I can destroy you unless you worship me. It's our God, right? Because he could literally play that card because it's true. And that's not the picture of God we read about in the Bible. It's not the, the picture of God that David uh, gives to us. Because God does want our worship. You know, God ha- deserves our worship and glory because he is good. He's not like threatening us if we don't worship him. And so what good things has God done? Well, just staying in this psalm, which which, which is part of expositional, you know, study. We're going to stay right in this text. So these are the things that David is saying, like, this is why I worship God. This is why I'm inviting you guys. Verse 4, he delivers from fears. Verse 5, removes shame. Verse 6, he saves. Verse 7, encamps around them. And 8, is a refuge. Like, that's a God who's worth worshiping. I mean, these are many things, if a of you are know, saved this morning, those are things you have experienced, right? Deliverance from shame, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Saving us, I know, I know for me, delivering from fears, that's huge. That's a good God. That's the God I want to serve. But what makes those things good? I mean, we still, we still have a problem here. I mean, what makes those things good? What is the standard of goodness? That is a tough question, right? That's the question that everybody is wrestling with in this world today. And those of us here this morning, we know that God is good. And so the standard of goodness is God himself. And I know people would accuse us of circular reasoning, But also, if you were to list out, if we were to to, to get a chalkboard out and list out things that we thought made somebody good, we would say things like love, justice, mercy, patience, which God, oh, do I test God's patience, and His kindness. So all the things that we would say are good are all things that God is, right? So God is good, I wanted to share a couple quotes this morning. This is the first one from A.W. Pink, um, theologian, about around late 1800s, early 1900s. <clears throat> but um, he summed up the, the goodness of God so well. I think this, I could just read it directly to you. He said about God, He is originally good, good of himself, which nothing else is. For all creatures are good only by, by participating in communication from God. He is essentially good, not only good, but goodness itself. The creature's good is a, is a super-added quality. In God, it is his essence. He is infinitely good. The creature's good is but a drop, but in God, there is an infinite ocean or gathering together of good. He is eternally and immutably good, for he cannot be less good than he is, as there can be no addition made to him, so no subtraction from him." Right. God is good. Now, one thing I think is amazing here about David, as we we know uh, about David, is like this guy would write songs and write poems, and his whole life was about God, worshiping God for God's goodness, right? What blows my mind is that David never saw Jesus. I mean, I get that he was born before Jesus was born. That makes sense. But can you imagine somebody like David being around somebody like Jesus? I, I think David would not have had to have acted crazy. I think David would have been absolutely crazy, mad, excited about Jesus had they met. <clears throat> and I say that because over and over David talks about God's goodness, right? How God's goodness is manifested in his life over and over And Jesus is the most potent expression of God's goodness. And so for us today, the way we encounter God, when we encounter Jesus, we are seeing goodness in its greatest, purest, most potent form and expression. At the same time, that's why a lot of people hate God. That's why they hate the name Jesus. You can't be around something that holy and pure and good You know, you you can embrace it, and then, you know, woe is me, I want that, repent, but, you know, for so many people, it's it's so good that they hate it, and that's why people are offended just hearing the name of Jesus. It is so good. It brings to light stuff in people's hearts and minds they don't even know is there, and that's why the name of Jesus is always, you know, it's either praised or it's a curse word, right? I mean, that's the way you hear it. It's never just casual. <clears throat> and so the things that David points out here that he's delivered from fear that the shame is removed and that he's saved are the same things this morning that, that God has done for us through Jesus right so how good is God that not only does he give us the standard of good in scripture but in His goodness again knowing we were going to fall short And I say, I mean, here this morning, man, I fall way short. Knowing we're going to fall short, he gives the example of goodness in Jesus. In Jesus' life. And moreover, again, knowing that we would still, still not get it, still not be good, he gives us Jesus himself as our refuge and our Savior. And so if you want to taste and see that the Lord is good this morning, the way to do that is to seek Jesus. <clears throat> now we're going to keep going in this psalm to stanza four. And I, oh, this, is, this is a good stanza. Um, I, I chose this chapter because of stanza three, right? This psalm because of stanza three. But stanza four, surprisingly, was the most convicting for me. And I think it's, it's just so interesting. I didn't get it until I prayed and read through this. But in stanza four, verses 11 through 14, it says this. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And so we have a stanza That's about learning, right? Learning about God, and really specifically, we can't overlook the fact that he's talking to younger people, right? To children, to youth, to teenagers, to young adults. Like that's, you know, like I say, we knew from, we we could infer from the fact that this was alphabetized, that this would be something that kids would memorize. But again, he's coming back, and he has this great story so far, but he's like, come on, you know, I know you adults get it, but he's calling out younger people. I do so you guys get it? Do you guys know how to taste? And I love David's heart here, that he doesn't forget one of the most important parts of his audience, the children. And let me say, like, really, um, as a parent, as somebody uh, with my wife, who were youth pastors for years, you know, to all the parents out here, Uh, grandparents, people who, who work with children, that we must taste and see that the Lord is good. First off, we need to taste ourselves, but we also need to show our children how to do that. Not just say it, not just model it, but show them. Show them how to taste that the Lord is good. And I confess that I fail often. I fail often in this area because uh, like many people that I've talked to, we treat our children um, like older children instead of younger adults. And I think I talked a little bit about this when we had that lunch. You know, we we feed kids off the kids' menu till they're adults. You know, so we we feed them, you know, happy meals. You know, they should be eating like supersized, like trying, you know, burgers with everything on them. And so what happens is they leave to go to school and when they don't have to come to church with us anymore, they don't come. And what, the, what are they going to say? Well, I outgrew it. I outgrew my faith. I, I don't believe in that fairy tale anymore. You know, and the problem isn't that God has changed or that God can't meet their mature inquiry because he can, like perfectly. He can blow their minds with his grace and his goodness. The problem is they were never transitioned you know, Paul talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians, right? Going from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. And so, I, I don't want to get on a, a soapbox, but I mean, I think we spend a lot of time, you know, with our kids watching VeggieTales, right? I know adults, you know, who still watch VeggieTales, like as a source of, of spiritual, you know, food, you know, my wife can tell you, we, we've seen it. Like, I'm not even joking. <clears throat> and so we do that. We do the Veggie Tales and the Bible Man. And we have fun youth groups. And youth groups should be fun, don't get me wrong. Like, our, our kids hanging out together and having fun is great. Um, one of the youth groups that we were at, they had a skate park. Like, we had a cool skate park for skaters to come. But that didn't help anybody. What they needed, what our kids need is the living word of God. What we need is us praying side by side with them and teaching them. Like sometimes we don't have the things to say to God. And it's okay sometimes just to confess our anxieties to God. Like, God, I don't get this. God, this scares me. Let your kids see that that's the way adults operate, that adults don't have all the answers. Being an adult coming here doesn't mean that you got it figured out and that you know God perfectly, but show them how to approach, show them how the faith is something that we can struggle with sometimes and and what that looks like to come out of that as well. Now, one of the things that excites me about this church is there's so many young people. I know we're missing some this morning, but man, I'm psyched. I love you guys. I do. You are a priority in this church. You know, if you know a young person who's not here this morning, tell them when you see them. You know, Pastor James said, you are a priority in this church. We want to teach you to fear the Lord. We want to teach you to know the Lord. We know, we know that life is hard, and it's going to get harder. But we know there's a certain life, there's a certain goodness in life, a way to live life to its fullest that only comes with following Jesus. And so, yes, I mean, we're going to keep talking about it, and you're going to keep talking about Jesus to you and loving you. But, that, but that's just it. It's because we love you. And so I don't know what it looks like yet, but I guarantee you that we are going to have things going on here in this church that are going to be aimed at children, at teenagers, older teenagers, young adults. You are a priority, and we do love you here. Now, it's interesting also that David, who wrote this, he did have a son who he taught all this stuff to. So David sung this song, because he had a son, that he, a son that he sung this song to, try saying that, um, you know, named Solomon. And in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Solomon said this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before evil days come, and the years draw near of which He will say, I have no pleasure in them. And so, man, I wish as a young person I wish as a teenager that my church had sought me out and taught me about Jesus. I do. I was taken to church here and there. I learned nothing. I didn't like being there. I didn't know why I was there. But you guys are here for a reason. This is the most important knowledge that you can have. And I believe that you are ready for it. It's my heart, my desire as your pastor for you, the younger generation, to hear the gospel all the time, to know the gospel so that when you leave this place, there's going to be a day where you're not going to have to come to church with your parents. And I know maybe for some of you, that's just like, yes, you know, but I'm telling you, you need Jesus. And I want you to know when you leave this place, if you don't go to church immediately, what the gospel is when you leave, so you know where to come, because we will be waiting for you and praying for you that you will have faith. That is our desire. And so for the rest of us who already have, that have tasted that the Lord is good, and we could already say this morning, the Lord tastes so good, is so great, that we would continue to taste so that we can teach and show all the young people of this church what that looks like. It's exciting, it's not boring. It's not something you just have to do. It is incredible, it is an incredible way to wake up and live life and go to sleep. It is amazing. We have to teach our kids and show them, like my parents didn't, that there's a freedom, that we don't serve a tyrant, like we don't serve like the emperor of China, we don't serve a God whose foot is about to crush me if I, if I stop talking this morning. But show them that in Christ, we have freedom. We have more freedom that you can get anywhere. Freedom, especially to be fearless of anything in life. Especially peer pressure. To be free of peer pressure. Not have to fear that when anybody else thinks of you. The God that created you, who just holds this universe together just because, created you and he knows you and he has you, what are you gonna be afraid of? You know, even coronavirus. You know, we don't have to be afraid of coronavirus, right? This church went right through it, just went. <laughs> <clears throat> You know, we got it all just about at once and we're here this morning. And so, so far we've heard from David and he's talking to other people Taste and see that the Lord is good. Learn about God. Children, learn about God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But the one thing we haven't heard about so far, read about is, where's God? So far, it's just people talking to people. Hey, guys, you should do this. Hey, guys, come taste this. It's like, oh, but where's God when this whole conversation is happening, where this this worship is happening, which we see in stanza five, which is verses 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So in stanza five, we have God's view. This is great. I love stuff like this. i to make it a few more minutes. <clears throat> so what is God doing? He's listening and watching. He's there listening and watching all this takes place. And, and we know it says he's listening to the righteous, so those who have faith. So it says those people crying out, like when he cried out, and when there's people seeking and trying to, to, to seek the Lord, it says, where's God when they're doing that? And it says God is right there seeing them do that. That is great. It's amazing to me, I don't know about you, it's amazing to me that God cares at all, right? But here he say, he's, we, we see that he gives us, gives, gives us faith and he watches over us. So what is he doing as he's watching and listening, right? What's he doing? And says, he, he, where, where is he? He's near the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. And I think this is why it's important when it says learn, right? This is why it's important to learn even from a song like like Psalm 34 so that in moments of despair, right? In moments where life is very difficult, where there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of hurts, a lot of pain, and it feels like, where's God? God, where are you? And it feels like the world is coming in on you If you have a good theology, right, if you've read Psalm 34, you know that God is near you. In that moment when he feels the farthest, in that moment where a lot of people, let's be honest, and this has been researched, when people go through moments of pain and turmoil or something difficult in their life, that is when people often leave the faith, and so, the other side of that, the people who, who have read Psalm 34, who have reached out, tasted they know the Lord is good, know that the Lord in those moments is actually the closest. And so, God communicates stuff like this. Like, God has gone out of his way. God didn't have to tell us anything, but here he tells us this morning in those moments when you feel in despair, right? When you're in Abimelech's throne room and your life is flashing before you. God's telling you, I am right there with you. Just know when you don't feel me, when you think, like, where could God possibly be? God is saying, no, just know that I am there in that moment when when I feel distant to you. And again, this just blows my mind, just that we know anything about God. And so I wanted us to consider something this morning. And this is getting kind of geeky. But consider that... When we want to know anything about something, what do we do? Was that? Yeah, we study it, we examine it, we feel it, right? We taste it, we see it, we smell it, so we we, we can comprehend it. And yet with God, that couldn't possibly be the case. We couldn't do that with God. So in order to know God, in order to know this good God that we serve, he had to initiate everything. It was completely on God's side for us to know anything that we know about him. God has revealed himself in creation in so many ways, just just beauty itself, you know, functionality. He's revealed himself in his word. If you've ever wondered, you know, what's God like? I mean, in one psalm, we've learned a bunch about what God is like, right? That's why we read the Bible to see what God is like, to know who we are and to know who God is so that we could live a life that pleases Him. All this, all this communication, just to get to Psalm 34, just to know so that we would know, so God can tell us that we would know that He's near. And that just blows my mind to His creation, to one little, I can't even explain how small it would be compared to God, but just go through communicating in so many ways, revealing himself in creation, in his word, in Christ, through his spirit, just to tell one of us this morning, I know what you're going through. I see you, I hear you, I am near you. And I say that to say, again, God is good, right? That's a, no, God didn't have to do anything, but God did something, and that thing he did was good. And so we would all be lost and hopeless if not for God giving us any knowledge about himself, let alone the best knowledge that he gave us in Christ about his goodness. Now, lastly, I want to look at the sixth stanza in verses 19 through 22, where we read, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so in stanza six, we see two paths. I think this is interesting. This is like the taste or not moment. We see two paths right here in the sixth stanza. And so we've heard everything. We've already heard the invitation. We've heard the testimony. We've heard about how good God is. And now it's, are you going to taste or not? And it's interesting that right here, it says many, of the, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, maybe that sticks out to you. I know it did to me because it's like, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. If we're, if we're seeking and we have faith, we're calling out, crying out to the Lord and then it ends by saying, you know, taste of the Lord is good. And you taste, and then it says, oh, yeah, you're going to have affliction. Right? Because it says the righteous, like righteous, you've done everything right. You've, you've answered the Lord. You've tasted the Lord. You serve the Lord. But it says the afflictions of the righteous. But the difference is, it says here of the righteous, you'll notice that it says that the Lord delivers them. Which means there's a different ending for the person who goes through affliction, who follows God. You know, whether that's in this life coming through it or an eternity with God, we will come through it. We'll be delivered from it. We have that promise, which nobody else in this world has, which is why everybody is scared of death and dying. It's because they don't know. And we know like, oh, like eternity is covered. Like we're, you know, I always say, we're, we're playing with house money. Eternity is covered. I am confident in that for us. In contrast, in verse 21, it also says the wicked will face affliction. So it's not like just the righteous face affliction, but the wicked. So everybody's going to face affliction in life, but the, the wicked will be slayed. So you have two different paths here you're going to go through life life is going to be hard the bible does not say life is going to be easy taste and see that the lord is good you'll be rich and famous and popular no it says all of us are going to go through affliction all of us are it just ends very differently for those who follow the lord (coughs) now whether righteous or wicked we also experience grace. Because so far, you know, it sounds like, oh, okay, well, it's just everybody's going to face affliction. Bummer. You know, but we also, we, we have common grace. People who serve God, who know Jesus, we all experience common grace all the time. Food, again, food, goodness. Music, art, you know, marriage, relationships, friends, sports, we all experience that, whether we are wicked or not. But we also all experience affliction, disease, and loneliness at times. And so the difference is just knowing God, trusting in Jesus, that He is our refuge, that He is our Savior, and that we will not be condemned. No matter how much anybody in this world condemns us, and it seems like that's a fun sport for everybody nowadays, <clears throat> You know, in Romans 8 1, it says, again, for people who memorize verses, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what's happening to you, no matter what anybody says about you. So, what is stopping you today from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? Do you have ideas about God that stop you? What do you have to lose by putting your faith in Jesus? What do you have to gain? You know, I love the way A.W. Tozer explains how people consider following Christ. He says, Christ walked with men on earth that he might show them what God is like and make known the true nature of God to a race that had wrong ideas about him. This was only one of the things he did while here in the flesh, but this, this he did with beautiful perfection. From him, we learn how God acts towards people. The hypocritical, the basically insincere, will find him cold and aloof, as they once found Jesus. But the, to the penitent, he will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. To the frightened, he is friendly. To the poor in spirit, he is forgiving. To the ignorant, considerate. To the weak, gentle. And to the stranger, hospitable. And so, so often, it's just we have wrong ideas about God. And I don't blame people sometimes when they say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve your God. Because I know that they have no idea who the God is that I serve. They couldn't possibly. And so I would say just, you know, be merciful towards people who reject our faith. Because they have no idea. Assume, like ask them. Oh goodness, if you are brave enough, ask them what they think we do on a Sunday morning. Ask them who we think we serve. What kind of God that we serve. And so often, especially the last couple of years, the response I hear when I share the gospel is, I can't serve God because he's not good. Because, and I'm sure you've heard this, how can a good and powerful God, how can God be good and powerful and bad things happen? You know, so they say, right? They say that's a problem, that, 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 that those two things can't exist together. To which I say, you know, my kids hear me say this all the time, God is not a genie, for one. We don't serve a genie. God is not a cosmic vending machine. God is not a get-out-of-affliction-free card. God is not held to our standard of goodness, of whether bad things happen or not. does not affect what God is, who He is. But God is the immutable standard of goodness for all of eternity. God's goodness is displayed to you daily in common grace. God has explained who He is over and over in His Word. And while we were hopelessly bad, by God's grace, He's given us the absolutely soul saving goodness of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you don't know the Lord, if you've never tasted the Lord, and seeing that he's good, I invite you to do that, to to pray and to seek him out. And if you want, that's something I can do with you. Just talk to me, or I'm sure anybody else sitting next to you. I'm sure that's a conversation we would love to have and help you with. And so I invite you to do that this morning. To the children, teenagers, young people here this morning, I say, this isn't just your parents' faith. This is something you can taste for yourselves and see and enjoy now. You can know the Lord now. You do not have to wait to a certain age, adult degree to do that. And I, you know, tell your parents, you know, James said, Pastor James said, tell me more about Jesus, tell me how to know. This is something I need to know. And for those of you who have already tasted and you already say this morning, you already came in, I already know you know the Lord is good. Maybe this is a season where you taste more. You know, like with my story about that burger, you know, I already loved hamburgers. I that's something that was already a fact. But in a moment of crisis, you know, I, I tried something more. I tried something different. I tried a different way to approach. And so this morning, if you already know the Lord, maybe this is just a season where you do something different. Maybe that's fasting. Maybe that's being discipled. Maybe that's learning church history, taking a class, something where you're going to taste more of the Lord. Take a bigger bite. Put yourself out there. Make yourself more vulnerable. Lean into the awkward and just take another bite just of the Lord's goodness. And so all of you church family and friends, people online in the future, my invitation to you this morning is just to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.